0: So few of us are taught to love ourselves unconditionally. We're told that if we aren't fixing, winning, or doing, we're failing. We struggle to just be our authentic selves, to find peace and stillness. We're inundated by cultural noise that pressures us to conform or be rejected. And these influences leave us feeling confused, distracted, and disconnected. Many of us have lost our identity and are struggling to integrate new concepts. But I believe we can come back into alignment and find our way back to who we truly are. Ralph Waldo Emerson famously said, to be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. Today's noisy world can cause us to feel lonely, distracted, and lacking a sense of clarity and purpose. We long to exit the fight of life and enter into the flow of the universe. We're in search of wholeness, opportunity, and a feeling of belonging. And we want our lives to contribute to a more harmonious world. We want to understand who we are, why we're here, and who we can truly be. We long for deeper connection and alignment with humanity, nature, and spirit. We want to unearth our true essence and connect with our highest self. To live fully alive, able to shine so bright that we liberate the light in everyone we encounter. We want to live authentically and experience the awe of the vast universe. If you're tired of feeling a sense of dis-ease, misalignment, or disharmony, That keeps you from reaching your greatest potential perhaps it's time you do the work to find out who you truly are and who you could truly be you owe it to yourself to explore that i'd love to guide you on your journey and help you craft an identity that will draw you towards your highest self and allow you to create the impact you want to create in the world if you'd like to dive into the integrated identity process and discover your greatest self Check out details on my website at www.jaredangaza.com. This is a space for authentic conversations around indigenous wisdom, consciousness, and wonder. We dance with the big questions like who are we, why are we here, and how do we contribute to a more peaceful and harmonious society? How do we live authentically and fully alive? I want to thank you for joining me in reverence and gratitude today to explore the wonder of the spectacular cosmos that we're all so fortunate to be a part of. I'm Jared Angaza, and this is Noetic. I'm super excited to be sharing this conversation with you today. Uh, Obviously, from the title, you can tell it's uh, something that means a lot to me. It's a conversation I've had over and over again with friends and family, and I've been writing down notes for a long time and and kind of going back and forth in conversations for the specific reason of getting people's thoughts. Uh, this feels like a bit of an expose on my full ethos and my thoughts about life. Uh, I'm writing it out, and you know, as I've been writing it out a- in preparation for this, I've, I've gone back and reviewed it a few times obviously and and I really realized the weight of what I've articulated here this isn't you know your everyday conversation but it's some things that it just keep coming up so much and uh I don't know I, w- I was originally going to call this actually falling away from union was going to be the title however as I got further into it and as I had a, a couple other conversations uh, I, I went with the meaning of life uh arguably a more effective headline (laughs) anyway. So let's see how that works. Uh, The following ideas, I guess, are reflections on my ethos, my perspective, my journey. It is personal and and I'm I'm sharing it with you. And I recognize that even sharing it on this podcast is uh, fairly risky because of the weight of the topics. Uh, But hey, I talk about authenticity and the importance of that all the time. So here's me revealing my most personal thoughts about well, the meaning of life. In conversation with friends the other day, uh, when I stumbled uh, upon a couple of these discoveries, I just kind of, I worked myself into this position where I stopped and I said, wow, I, I, I think I might have discovered the meaning of life. You know, of course we had a good laugh about that. And then we started to unpack it. So as we unpacked it in that conversation, um, I took notes and I brought those back to you here, and we're going to talk about that now. In this episode, I want to talk to you about what is God, uh, what is sin, or at least you know what is, the, what is the Christian reference about there, and what is the opposite of love and the role of our thoughts and our mind in our life course in the end we'll wrap it all up with uh discussing the meaning of life you know just a little light discussion to stimulate the mind this has uh as i said been a long time coming um and i've always been driven to get to the heart of things uh, to go after the source from politics to economics and culture religion the challenges of the world and so on and i want you know i'm always driven to feel, like why is this happening what is this really about uh, Rob Bell often says, you know, this is really about that. And he gets into what that's about. And I really appreciate that. So I'm doing a little bit of that here. What is causing something? What is causing, what is the, for instance, in, in my philanthropic endeavors, I ultimately, after fighting kind of on the quote unquote front lines for a lot, a lot of years and in, in Africa and in the States, I recognize that if I really want to change the world and more and in, in, in contribute to a more harmonious world, let's say, I have to recognize that I can be fighting those symptoms for the rest of my life. I want to go to the heart and I recognize that it's people's perspective that views another person as a commodity or that views another person as disposable or whatever. That's what the problem was. Everything else, all these other areas are, are symptoms. So I you yeah, know, I wanted to get to the source. And now I'm working on what I consider to be more of the uh the source of some of those problems, and, and hoping to transform perspectives, and broaden imaginations, and so on. I guess to get us kicked off here, let's start with the biggie: what is God? And notice, I didn't say who. And I guess we'll start there. The other day, I heard uh, my daughter; um, she heard a she. I think she overheard a conversation rather about whether or not God was a male or female, you know, man or woman. And I was so pleased to see that she was very confused by that because she was, we talked about it and she said, well, how can God be a man or a woman if God's not a human? (laughs) I said, I love you. You know, she's six years old and she's starting with that perspective. Uh, Suffice it to say that in our family, we don't view God as a being, um, but as a force, and we'll unpack that a little bit here, I guess. Um, I Ultimately, I believe we are all extensions of God. Uh, in our family, we, we do say Wakan on Tonka, the Lakota um, concept of, of the great mystery, uh, the ineffable, uh, something that we cannot even comprehend. And that I, I think that resonates a lot with our family. So for, for the purpose of this discussion, I'll, I'll use the word God. But for us, that's sort of synonymous, I guess. Uh, I, I see God as this ineffable force of love. Uh, and, and I think when we describe love as a force, to me, that is God. So they're sort of interchangeable in that way. We are also love. We are born from love, from God. Our source is love. And love, I believe, is all that actually exists. Anything else, according to the Course in Miracles, is an illusion. And I do believe that. So fundamentally, I believe we are already love. We are already eternally connected to source, to love. We can't actually separate ourselves from that source, ever. So, I guess that begs the question that, you know, why do we have mass murders and dictators and misogynists and whatever? Why do we have bad people, quote unquote? I studied and prayed and meditated on this quandary for a very long time and certainly continue to do so. Obviously, you know, being an activist and humanitarian, this is something that comes up a lot. <laughs> you know, why? Why, God? why, Why do we have this terrible thing? So... Ultimately, I came to the belief that uh, while we are all extensions of divine source of love, we do have free will, obviously. you know We talk about that a lot uh, in other contexts, but let's talk about it here. I guess we can choose to live our life in alignment with love. We can live out that love. Or we can choose to distance ourselves from it, not disconnect, but distance ourselves and I don't know. I got a little analogy here that <laughs> might help with that. Might not. We'll see. I haven't been able to think of a better analogy. So here we go. Imagine God as a giant ball of silly putty. We've all had silly putty. We know what the deal is. Stick with me. Um, imagine then, you know, you can pull little bits and pieces of that away. Imagine you had like imagine even if there were like little BBs inside that thing and you could reach in and kind of grab one and pull it and and then all the putty stays connected and never leaves. You can pull one of those little BBs far away from that ball of putty and it's still connected, but it is certainly far from its source. Now you can pull one just a little ways away and just protrudes out just a tiny bit. And that is also part of source, but very close to it. One is far away and one remains close. They are always connected. Uh, perhaps, though, you could argue at that point that one has a stronger relationship with the source. One is weaker, one is stronger. So if you can work with that analogy, let's, let's continue on. Uh, I've described it uh, as each of us, I guess, experiencing what I've referred to as a gravitational pull. It's just this tug away from the source that pulls us out farther and farther away from it. And we come into this earth as, or into this existence as love, part of that source. And then this gravity sort of pulls us and tugs at us. That's that contrast. It pulls us away in the other direction. And I think that the, the game of life, if you will, is about us as humans having the choice to allow for that tug, to allow ourselves to fall away from union, if you will, or to choose to realign, to come back to love. If we were not pulled away from love, let's just say that gravitational pull didn't exist, we'd have no shadow at that point. There'd be nothing to overcome, no distance from God, no need to journey back, Campbell would be, you know, left without his hero's journey. The contrast draws us closer to each other. Think about like the hurricanes, natural disasters, and things like that. Nine eleven and all that. People came together in ways that they never had before. I, I talk about this in a discussion about. It was one of my first pivot points in in being at this uh, train stop or whatever in, uh, or subway stop in Newark, New Jersey, and. You know, it was a very disconnected crowd, and then a lot of people were there, and no one was talking or connecting, and then a big storm came through, and everyone connected in this really profound way. And I've, I've talked about that a few times, but that was contrast that came into our lives, and it pushed us together. That contrast spurs us into connection, deeper connection with each other, with humanity, and with God. And... I'd have to say, too, that as we connect deeper with humanity, we are, in fact, connecting deeper with God in that process as well. So what's been created here is sort of a built-in mechanism that always drives us back towards love. That's amazing. I mean, we, we have something built into our humanity that's going to cause contrast and things like that, that then forces us not forces us maybe, but tugs us back in the other direction if we so choose. You know, without that contrast, I don't think there's any reason or, you know, for our existence. So obviously this then begs the question, why are we here? What is the meaning of life? If we agree that there's going to be some contrast and that we have derived from love, we then have some fundamental ingredients, I guess, that we can work with. As I mentioned, this came up again, in conversation recently, uh, and some close friends that I really respect, and they were offering me some some great feedback and advice and so on. Also recently, around the same time, I read a recent Richard Rohr newsletter, I follow him very closely, and he actually talked about the union concept, so I thought, well, (laughs) I guess this is my universal prodding to dedicate an episode to it. So, I want to share a little bit, a little excerpt from Richard Rohr's Daily Meditation. This one is on uh, the series on Western Christianity, and it's called The Soul's Objective Union with God. What we call sins are usually more symptoms of sin. Sin is primarily living outside of union, it's a state of separation where the part poses as the whole. It's the loss of any inner experience of who you are in God. Sins, quote unquote, often have more to do with ignorance than actual malice. Uh, Disconnected people may become malicious, but they did not start there. They began in union, and disunion became their experienced life. That speaks to what we were just talking about a second ago. You can't accomplish or work up to your union with God because you've already got it. Uh, Before the world began, you were chosen, chosen in Christ to live through love in his presence, Ephesians 1.4. You cannot ever become worthy or perfect by yourself. You can only reconnect to your infinite source. The biblical revelation is about awakening, not accomplishing. So much there. It's about realization, not performance. If you cannot get there, you're left with nothing more than to be there. Only the humble can receive it and surrender to such grace. Thank you, Richard, for that. I love his framing of this concept. Uh, You can't get back to union. You can only be there. Now, let's talk a little bit more about love. Typically, when we talk about love in this particular context, the question comes up, what is the opposite of love? Uh, Some people say hate, but I believe hate is merely a reflection of a loveless thought. Uh, A lot of people would say fear is the opposite of love. I certainly was one of those for a long time. But then I realized, it was a few years ago, I think I did a meme about it or something. But I realized that fear isn't a force. Like, love is a force. Fear is not a force. It's kind of the absence or or lack thereof. Uh, It actually... It feels the same as hate, really, or any other negative emotion, really. I could put them all in the same box and just say it's a reflection of loveless thoughts. That's it. I mean, so you have love or or you have a a lack of it or a lack of connection to it, distance from it, rather, is probably a better way to put it. So fear I don't see as the opposite of love anymore. Uh, It's the emotion we experience when we lack the faith, maybe, that love is all that's real. So if we're in a situation where we say love is all that exists, in the moments that we doubt that, for me, I call that fear, those moments of doubt, which are, in fact, in a lack of faith. It all comes back to faith. So that brings us, I guess, into the discussion of thoughts. I'm a big fan of Mike Dooley. He's a Hay House guy. Check him out. Uh, He wrote Playing the Matrix, and it's uh, been a pivotal book in my life. But he talks about, he's famous for saying, you know, our thoughts become things. He writes the notes from the universe that goes out to hundreds of thousands of people across the world. And in the crux of that, I guess, is the concept that our thoughts become things. Choose good ones is the subtitle there. Uh, And and to to throw some other gurus out there, I guess in the words of Abraham Hicks, I, I think uh, it's important to understand, you know, what, what is a belief from, you know, I have a thought and you have a belief. But uh, Hicks says a belief is just a thought that we keep thinking. If I had a nickel for every time I've heard that come out of one of my friend's mouths towards me uh, and, and probably me back at them, too. So in short, our thoughts dictate our reality. We, we understand that. And, and I guess to, to expound upon that a bit, I don't believe that we're creating that reality. I believe that there's infinite possibilities of realities out there and we're simply choosing which ones we're going to experience. Uh, that's another discussion. So think of love as the cause and of our actions as the reaction of that cause, which is love. So uh, Wayne Dyer, again, another another guru of mine, he wrote a book called Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. And that teaching is probably the most important book in my life. It's based on the Tao Te Ching. So I usually credit the Tao Te Ching with being my my book, but to be honest, it was really Wayne's book that, that opened the world of the Tao Te Ching up to me in a much broader way. Uh, so thank you, Wayne. Uh, that book taught me the power of my thoughts. Uh, I've grown up in that discussion in my family, which I'm grateful for for a long time, but this one, for whatever reason, changed me. And You know, another Taoist saying that's actually in that book quite a bit is when the student is ready, the teacher arrives. And I feel like that's another way of saying when your mind is ready for it, you'll get the download from an experience, from a person, from a book, from whatever. I understand that thoughts can hurt me or they can help me, and, and others, obviously. But now I recognize that, you know, I am my thoughts, that's the whole picture. I am just kind of a reflection of those. And my life is a reflection of those. And if I alter them, my life experience will begin to reflect those thoughts as well. My life is already reflecting my current thoughts. So changing them, I can expect that you know, life will catch up and reflect that as well. I think that a simple way of, of um, approaching that discussion for me has been that when I say, man, I really need money. As an example, I'm sure we can all relate to. I believe the universe responds back with, yes, you really need money. (laughs) That's a bummer. Thanks, universe. Uh, So when we change that, you can expect the response to change, I think. So I changed mine uh, to large sums of money flow to me quickly under grace in perfect ways. I say that many times a day in in my mind and sometimes out loud. That's a tip I got from uh, Florence Skull Shin's uh, The Game of Life and How to Play It. (laughs) I realized I've listed quite a few resources out here in this one. Uh, When I'm talking about the meaning of life, I guess I have to reflect on all the people that helped me to understand more about it. I'll list them in the show notes. Our thoughts are everything, they are our tools for living and experiencing what we want to live. And obviously, conversely, it, it's true as well that they, they are what shape our lives, even if we're not at the wheel while they're doing it. And uh, further news, I, I guess, and on the synchronicity front, uh, I was also writing earlier today about this stuff, and I'm going through this free training that Marianne Williamson is providing, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful training. It's called Commune. I would highly recommend it. I'll try and put that in the notes, too but she has some great wisdom to share obviously always from the a course in miracles that's her thing and uh, she's the guru on that and I've been following her and the course in miracles or a course in miracles since I was about 18 years old thanks to my mother who introduced it to me then so she says in as she's quoting from a course in miracles what is all encompassing can have no opposite perfect Everything that is not love, in that case, is in fact an illusion. Let that sink in. If we agree on that, we have another foundational element there, okay? So, you know, there is no opposite of love. Love is the only thing that exists. Anything else is an illusion. So there's some other fundamental items we're adding to the foundation here. So now let's talk about sin, Again, you know, I'm kind of using that word uh, because it's a popular one, and in, in certainly in the Christian world, um, I think you can kind of overlay any other discussion about what sin might be in any other religion or belief. So uh, to do that, I, I guess i begin with, uh, again, that foundation, all that exists is love. Sin, as most people know, means to miss the mark. Uh, that's the origin of the word there. And The mark, I believe in this case, is an alignment with love, with source. So sin is simply, in this case, we have to reduce it down to being a loveless thought. So living in a loveless way, obviously, is a result then of loveless thoughts. So really, I, I guess what when we talk about coming back to source, there's a, there's a need for some sort of atonement there. And that's an that's a issue, a topic, I guess, that, that Marianne Williamson covers very, very well, more than, more than most and, and I think certainly better than most. Um, it calls us to, I think, forgive ourselves first and foremost. We can't forgive someone else if we cannot even forgive ourselves. Certainly a lesson I've had to learn over my lifetime. All thought is choice in every moment. What is created by God cannot be created or destroyed. So we have this understanding that, like, I can't create, it was like energy, you know, we can't create it or destroy it. It's all there, we just move it around. Uh, it's essentially kind of the scientific version of what we're getting at here. Um, we can only choose to align with love or with God or with whatever, we, we can't um, disconnect from it. So enlightenment is the journey of choosing time after time, love, over anything that stands against it, in my opinion. So when you fall into sin, I guess, you've fallen asleep at the wheel. I mean you've fallen asleep to really, I think you've fallen asleep to who you truly are, because who you truly are is love. So when you make a mistake, you're not the mistake, right? You're you you made one. Fine. It doesn't mean you are a mistake. I once sculpted a cup. I am not a cup, but I made one. Enlightenment is a shift in perception, which, by the way, as a side note, again, speaks to why I'm doing what I do now on the mic and in coaching sessions and so on versus you know out in Congo or Rwanda or Kenya or whatever, doing the things that I was doing before. Uh, more frontline action. Now I recognize that we need a, sh- a shift in perception. And enlightenment, I guess, is a, is a way of, of describing the shift in, in personal self-perception. And then obviously we have the greater whole. If we identify with, let's say, the body versus spirit identification, then we identify with our mortal circumstances rather than, say, the divine Uh, circumstances of the spirit. So our our perception is very skewed at that point. And and, and then we talk about the ego. You know, the ego represents a division between God and us. And and again, when I say division, I want to be clear that I mean uh, not division, not separation necessarily in in the way that we know it, but uh, the distance from God. So it makes us believe in the mortal self, the ego, uh, you know, as the only self. And that drives us toward attachment to things as well, because we say, okay, I, this is me saying it's got to be this way, or I, I've got to see this outcome, and so on. Obviously, the Buddha tells us, you know, we must let go of attachment to all outcomes. And in order to, uh, to live in that flow, you cannot observe something and constantly be the judge of it. We must become observers rather than judges, So I I have one question that I run over just about every difficult situation. You know, when some contrast comes up in my life, I'm struggling, wondering, you know, what on earth? (laughs) How have have I strayed so far? I ask myself, you know, do you believe that the universe is working on your behalf? Yes or no? Come on, Jared. (laughs) Do you or or don't you? It's got to be one or the other. If I believe it's not, then I have every reason to doubt and worry. You know, I might as well just... Resolved to doing that. But if I actually do believe what I talk about all the time, that the universe is working on our behalf, and universe, God, Wakan, Tanka, however you want to say it, if I really believe this, I have no reason to doubt or worry. I have no reason to fear or be angry or any, any of those emotions. So, I have, and let me be clear, we have all the right you know, to, to feel the emotions, Feeling them is one thing. Uh, they're great things to feel, but they're terrible masters. So we, we don't want to let them be the Lord of our lives, those emotions. We, we feel them, we lean into them, we experience them, we let it all out, and then we move forward. And we don't attach to those feelings any more than we want to attach to the judgment of someone or something else. Again, attachment is what we're talking about here. It's the ego that causes us to attach the ego is, is largely representation of our division or, or, or distance between us and, and source, God, love. So as you can see, we're kind of circling in on some things here. Um, I ask myself that constantly. You know, do you really believe that things, everything here is all you know, working for good? All things work for good. You know? So do I believe that? Do I believe that God made everything or just some things? Do, you know, or or do I believe that everything belongs or just some things? I remember having a discussion very, very early on. Uh, I don't know, I was 19 or 20 or so. I was kind of just exiting the church at that point, sort of going out and exploring. And I, I remember asking, you know, I was asking another fellow Christian friend, wait a minute do you believe that God created everything? Yes. I'm like, okay, well, what about rapists and, 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 uh, criminals of other kinds? And what I said, that one, because that's the worst I can think of. He's like, well, no, not that that's the devil. I was like, well, wh- wh- which is it? <laughs> Did God create everything or just the things that in this case, the devil didn't create and who created the devil. And so, you know, so you get in these weird conversations. We're not going to go there in this conversation. Uh, let's, I, I, I think we move beyond that. I hope. Um, so I do believe that everything belongs, and that's a larger conversation to unpack. But let's make this practical, okay? So, again, I'm trying to offer some analogies that might help kind of bring this home. So let's look at this as a formulaic discussion, not the analogy means nothing, but um, look at the formula that we could then overlay over other situations. So if you were in a room with 10 people, right, I like to take any macro situation, boil it down to a micro situation, and say, okay, what would you do here? And then let's extrapolate from there. So over the course of a week, you know, you're in a room with 10 people over the course of a week, you are charged with uh, creating sustainable peace and harmony in the group, let's just say. So, you know, we're looking at the group is the, is the world, right? You know, we want peace and harmony in the world. We want peace and harmony in this little group in this 10 person room. So how do you do it? How do you go about doing it? Uh, you can't obviously rely on the others, all the others anyway, to do, you know, what you would do to understand peace, uh, or harmony the way that you would, or to translate it the same way. Uh, you don't know what their tactics are going to be. You don't know what the situation is. You're in a room with a bunch of strangers. You don't know what the gig is. So where do you start? What's your sure bet? Surest bet, if you will. Uh, how would you create harmony and peace ultimately? Is what we're asking. So... By force, by worrying, fearing, or using fear tactics, which is certainly a popular way to lead in this country at the moment, um, would you do it by attempting to control them? Uh, then, on the other side, ask yourself: You know, would faith help? Would it help if you had faith? And then, obviously, you know, what what would that faith be in? Would it help if you had patience? We're trying to create peace and harmony in a room with 10 people. We don't know. Would it help to have patience? Would it help to be, what if every time you interacted with someone, you responded with love no matter what? What if you got to be known as the kindest person in the room, even when it's most challenging? Do you think that would help? I I think, you know, to look at this and say, like, in a micro situation like that, And obviously you can boil that down to to your family too, you know, in your family. How would you create peace and harmony? Now that's a tougher bag because you have baggage, uh, you have history, you have things like that. So it's different than strangers, which is why I use the, the analogy there with strangers. But you can start to overlay this thinking. It's like, okay, if I really want peace, how do I go about it? It's probably not by yelling at someone or stressing that how I'm right about something or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of tactics that can go into how do we influence people and so on. But ultimately, I think starting with patience and kindness and faith that this is all going to go in the right direction is what we have to do. So in any situation, I mean, could you think of an instance when being love would not be the most strategic answer? Now, we have, you know, hostage situation or like, you know, violence, threat of violence or something like that. (sighs) Suffice it to say, as hard as it sounds... I still choose peace, even in that situation, and I believe that's what Jesus did on the cross. He was killed because of our sin, and our sin was the choice of violence over peace. And he said, yeah, I'm not going to do that no matter what. So they killed him. And that was a message to the world, I will not choose violence. If you have that kind of persona, I will not choose violence, I will not choose the, isn't that the kind of thing that you want in a leader that's there for uh, fostering peace and harmony? The person that no matter how far you push them won't choose violence, won't choose anything harsh or negative or whatever, but they will only choose to act in love. Momentarily, you can control people and manipulate them by force, and, well, in and manipulation but it's not typically sustainable historically we can look back and say it it has never been sustainable only unconditional unyielding love will bring us sustainable harmony and peace look at everything that we've discussed so far as we boil it all down recognizing that we are from love we are of love we can't separate ourselves from love however we can fall away from that union and as we do, we have the choice to come back to it in every single moment. So perhaps <laughs> we did find the meaning of life. To choose love over anything that stands against it. I think it's that simple. Run that over all, all the examples in your life and see if that doesn't work. let me know. But ultimately, I think it is to choose love over anything that stands against it in every single moment. If we've originated as love, then I guess the the meaning of life, we could also say is, is to just be you, you know, to be your authentic self, which was in alignment with love when we came into this existence. And we're working our way back to that in every moment choosing love over everything else anything else your authentic self is the aligned you that is the integrated self and at the end of the day i mean we that's real integration and I, i teach on you know integrated identity and this is very much what we're talking about right now so your authentic self is the aligned you people tend to think that Authenticity has something more to do with, you know, blurting out whatever it is that you feel at the time and just speaking your mind and whatever. Suffice to say, I do not view authenticity as that. Uh, your authentic self is all that you were created to be, it is your highest self. It's you aligned with love. So, as you go about your day, and as I go about mine, I encourage you to ask yourself the question Do I believe the universe? Or God is working on my behalf. And then sit with that and see how that informs you for the next move, the next thought. If the answer is yes, and you have to, well, you have to choose to believe it. I mean, really believe it viscerally, like resolve to it. And choose to respond to life from that resolve. So, when you believe it, there's nothing that could cause you to worry or fear in any way, as we discussed. This is a way that I can remove the control of fear in my life. Not to say that you won't feel fear, but you can remove the control of it in your life. Worry, in my opinion, is just a lack of faith. I don't know how it's possible to worry and be fully living in faith the unyielding belief that everything belongs and that God is always working on our behalf, I guess to me is what faith feels like. Is there any instance that choosing love would not be the right answer? Is there any reason you could believe you're not an extension of love or God? Either you do and your life reflects it, or you don't and your life reflects it. We can't disconnect ourselves from God or love. We can only fall out of union with it, out of alignment. And to realign, we simply have to have faith and choose a loving response to everything we encounter. It's not easy to choose love. The red road path is fraught with challenges and suffering and all kinds of things that we've talked about. Uh, but that's the path to that significance and fulfillment and joy and wonder and awe that we all want. So many people are trying to find their purpose in this world today. I think that's a flawed game. I don't think you can go out and find or create your purpose. It's not out there. It's not waiting for you. It's here. Your purpose is to be you, to be your authentic self, to be love. Think about it. Imagine if everyone resolved to being love in every situation, no matter what. It's my belief that the world's maladies, like war and poverty and starvation and the destruction of our planet, all of those things would start to dissipate and correct themselves, if only we each individually resolve to choosing love, to being love, first to ourselves, and then obviously to all of those that we encounter. If we want to experience true happiness, if we want to contribute to a more harmonious world, then we have to come back into union with our source back into alignment with love. Our actions are dictated by our thoughts, we know this. Correct the thoughts and the actions will reflect our resolve. So i leave you with these two questions to carry around in your daily life. Do I believe that the universe, or that God, is working on my behalf? And how, in this moment, can I respond in love? The Beatles had it right, all you need is love. Thanks so much for holding this space for wonder and wisdom with us today. If you appreciate this discussion, I hope you'll share it widely. And go and rate and review it on iTunes. It really helps a lot and helps us amplify this message. Until next time, I wish you peace on your journey. May you always align with love and let your life speak. yeo Yeoyasu. The noetic theme music is provided by Human Suits from their original soundtrack for the documentary Planetary. Check them out and download their music at humansuits.bandcamp.com.